If you speak more than one language, surely you've had experiences like these. Translating since you were a kid, speaking one language at home and another at school or work, speaking a mix between both your languages with some of your closest friends, having minor brain farts and forgetting how to say a word in a language that you speak perfectly, but you can only think of it in your other language. We've been there. These things happen to me every day. It's not only a way of communication. Language plays a huge role in our lives. Language represents the history of our cultures. Someone might know nothing about me, but the moment I speak Spanish, se sorprenden. Y eso me gusta. They're surprised. And it's something I really like. On today's episode, I speak with Maritere Bellas, an award-winning author, bilingual parenting expert, speaker, writer, podcast host, and social media influencer who combined her passion for writing and her devotion to motherhood to create a diverse platform of resources for parents looking to raise bilingual, multilingual, and multicultural children. Maritere is the author of four award-winning parenting books, is a conversant speaker serving on panels and moderating for major book festivals and women's conferences, among other great things that we'll also talk about today. Hola, yo soy Andrea Márquez, and this is Latinx, a show brought to you by La Red Hispana and the Hispanic Communications Network for the new generation of Latinx. This season, we want to focus on empowering you to follow your passion and be smart about chasing your dreams while speaking to Latinx from all over. De diferentes colores y sabores. Thank you all for your support. Our community keeps growing, so make sure to join Latinx on Instagram and TikTok at Latinx. You can also find out more on our website at wearelatinx.com. I was born and raised in Puerto Rico, and I've been in California for you've, over three decades now. I have a master's degree in communications. I started in journalism and communications and ended up writing for uh, La Opinion newspaper here in Los Angeles. Um, this is the mid-90s, um, and it was really basically because I was raising two children with Uh, two languages and three cultures. My husband is uh, Greek American and we were raising the kids with uh, Puerto Rican culture, the Greek culture and the American culture. And in those days, there was, there were no resources like they are today. There was no, um, I think the internet was barely starting, Mm -hmm. but there was really not nothing out there. Google did not exist. Uh, And so I didn't have a lot of support except for the books that my sister and my mom would send me from in Spanish, you know, the storybooks to read to the kids. Um, there was really no, um, no communities or no, no one around that I could be um, supported with in, in my effort of raising the kids. There was no schools nearby in my area it was all English dominant. So uh, to that end, uh, because I had worked at La Opinion doing PR for a little bit, uh, for a couple of years, I, I became really good friends with, uh, at the time was the editor and she then became the publisher of the paper a while later. And she was having kids at the same time and she was, uh, her background was from Mexico as well. And so I, 
asked her, I said, you know, Monica, I just can't find any information about parenting and, you know, multicultural parenting and bilingual parenting. And, and um, unless you go to the doctor's office, there were the free publications, Ser Padres, and at the time it was Healthy Kids and Espanol, which doesn't exist anymore. Uh, and they were all, I'm pretty sure they were all produced by, uh, published by Parents Magazine or, you know, Parents, uh, their Parents Corporation. So um, she said to me, why don't you write it? So I started writing the column. It was um, published every week. It was since they syndicated it. It also ran in Chicago for five years. Wow. And in the paper here, it ran for 12 years. And basically I became the Google. I would go to the library and get information. And, you know, a typical journalist, um, or would talk to the pediatrician, or would talk to a speech pathologist, or would talk to a teacher, and, you know, would make sure that there was some facts in whatever it was going on in my house, because I was sharing that as well, whatever the topic was. But then I would, you know, support it by something that parents could read, uh, like an article in another magazine, or a book in the library or um, a doctor that they could refer their, you know, questions to. And that's how it all started. Um, and then all of a sudden bilingualism became more, you know, talked about. And um, there were studies that were being done uh, by um, institutions, um, very worthy, uh, worthwhile institutions like Aspen Institute and mm -hmm. And all, all about the benefits and the advantages of being bilingual and how the brain, we all are born with a multilingual brain and all the cognitive benefits of being bilingual. And all of a sudden, everybody started talking more and more about it. Based on research by Victoria Marianne and Anthony Shook in 2012, their article titled, The Cognitive Benefits of Being Bilingual, research shows that when a bilingual person uses one language, the other is active at the same time. It's called language coactivation. Remember what I mentioned at the beginning about brain farts? This is why it happens. For example, it can take longer for bilingual speakers to name pictures, and it can increase tip of the tongue states. Like when you know what an avion looks like but you forget that the word is avion, and maybe you can only remember plane or nothing at all. Some cool things about being bilingual. Bilingual people often perform better on tasks that require conflict management, as they are better than monolinguals in ignoring irrelevant information. We also show increased activation in the brain region associated with cognitive skills like attention and inhibition. Speaking another language is also good long-term as it helps fend off the decline of cognitive function that comes with getting old. Oh, and my personal favorite, we also have an improved ability to see other people's perspectives, which I think is an incredibly invaluable talent. That's how I was asked to write my first book, uh, which is an uh, electronic book, an ebook called Raising Bilingual Children. And it was published in 2014 by Simon & Schuster. Um, and in there, I 
was able to interview families that were going through the process and how was what was working for them, what didn't work. Um, and, and the idea was that the reader would see was a kind of a, like a guidebook, very simple for busy parents, mm -hmm. uh, where they could get some kind of um, tips and suggestions. I have like 101 tips in there of things that parents could do to encourage language learning and, um, and things like that. So, and from then they came the next book, which was, uh, it's called Arroz con Pollo and Apple Pie, Raising Bicultural Children. And that book is about culture and you know, lots of uh, multicultural, I talked to many multicultural parents um, that are raising kids with two or more cultures at home and how, how they, they manage and how they balance. And um, it was important that to the first chapter, it really talks about how we as adults um, need to find that balance and need to appreciate the new culture that we're living in, whether you know we are expats or we're immigrants, um, but also with the idea that and, and the encouragement to preserve the culture that you know where we came from. I also wanted to prove or to demonstrate that regardless of our socioeconomic background where we came from, we all have to adjust to this new life uh, and this new culture. So I, I kind of show some steps in there and you know what to do, what to expect and, um, and encourage and motivate parents. Um, and uh, yes, and then from then I started writing bilingual children's books. Um, I was asked in 2018, right after Hurricane Maria uh, by uh, a company that had a, a literacy project that has been put, put on hold at the moment, but it's called, it was called readconmigo.org. And um, I wrote a book about a little Luisito, it's called Luisito's Island, La Isla de Luisito. And Luisito has to live, uh, the, he has to live Puerto Rico because of the hurricane destroyed his house. So they're moving somewhere else. And he tells his new friends all the things that he misses about the island. So I picked a few landmarks from the island and I featured them in, in the book. Um, and then after that, uh, my new book that just came out, um, I have a secret, Tengo un secreto. And this is, um, this came out of my work with parents. Uh, then I started working with parents uh, and giving presentations and talks about raising bilingual, multilingual kids. And the same question always still after six, seven years still pops up and it's like, oh, what do I do? He doesn't want, he or she doesn't want to, they come home and they don't want to speak Spanish anymore. What do I do about it? Uh, so I have my, uh, in my presentations, I give lots of suggestions about that, but I decided to write um, uh, a book with a character that was a little Puerto Rican boy and he lives in the States and mom and dad speak Spanish at home, but he goes to school and when he comes back home, he doesn't want to speak uh, Spanish anymore. Uh, so it's a little bit about, um, you know, how kids don't want to feel different. And that's why, you know, one of the reasons why they, 
they don't want to speak another language. Um, they want to be and feel like they're like the other kids that they're around. And um, it talks a little bit about bullying, um, very slight. He gets, you know, teased by his last name, one of the boys. And so it talks about friendship and a little bit of, um, you know, the idea is that at the end of the book, the, the, the boy realizes that he is special because he can communicate in two languages and that he should feel proud of that. Oftentimes, you know, for anything, if you grow up, I'm sure that, you know, your mom and dad would say something to you and you were like, roll your eyes. But if someone else came to you and said the same thing, you would just say, oh yeah, you kind of like would take it in more easy, easier than yeah. if it was mom and dad telling you. So in this case, the teacher has a very important role in uh, Lucy, in uh, Junito's life. Um, she, she tells Junito, I, I wish I was like you. I wish I would speak two languages. The book about Junito is um, the adventures of uh, Junito's adventures, Las Aventuras de Junito. So there, I already started working in his second adventure and hopefully oh, that nice. will come out next year. I told you at the beginning, I was excited to talk about these things because everything you've said resonates with me directly. I am a border child, completamente bilingüe. Yo crecí hablando español. I learned English when I was around seven. And since you're a border child, we grow up in a bubble where it's normal to speak two languages, right? Mm -hmm. No one, I can't remember people getting bullied. In fact, if you didn't speak both languages, it was weird here. And when I was, you know, like pre-K from whatever age till seven, I was in Montessori in Matamoros. So right. everything there was in Spanish. And then I remember my parents playing Pollito, chicken, gallina, hen, lapis, pencil, y pluma, pen, de Tatiana. So the idea was always, you're going to speak both languages perfectly. And that was what was it at home. But I remember wanting to speak English so badly because eso me inculcaron desde chiquita. And, and then when I got to kindergarten, first grade, sorry, in the United States, I remember not speaking English and befriending the like three gringos of the whole grade because everyone was Hispanos like me, except for like some super American girls that didn't speak any Spanish and they ended up being my best friends and we didn't speak the same language. So when you're kids, you don't really, you can communicate with another child your age that doesn't speak your language. We right. find a way, there's no, there's no, no barrier and I still, remember little tidbits of like us still being friends even though we didn't speak the language and we'd find a way to communicate with each other and I would learn from them and they would learn from me and then eventually I started speaking English fluently um, and it's a journey that I think is so important and growing up as a border kid all of my friends who right now are becoming parents themselves that is one of the points of contention in our lives like we have conversations fully about how are we gonna raise bilingual kids? I want my child to speak English and Spanish the way I speak English and Spanish. And we're being raised in the, in the United States. So we're moving up further North where there's less opportunity to like have that coming and going, English, Spanish, English, Spanish. What would you say is one of the 
universal, like, because you talked to all of these parents and all of these families, the number one mistake you saw that was committed by everyone when it came to wanting to get their children to be bilingual? You know, I think it's the expectations that we put on ourselves. The most important thing that should happen is that you and your partner make that decision. Once that decision is made, we are raising bilingual. Then the next step is to decide on a family language plan. And that plan, I call it the family language plan. Some other people call them strategies or whatever, but I've always called it the plan. Mm-hmm. Um, and that plan includes um, th- what method you're going to use. If both parents speak Spanish, that's the, the, and that would be the minority language. So that's called the minority language at home method. If one parent is American or speaks English and the other one speaks Spanish, that's called the one parent, one language method. If you have, um, let's say you have three languages instead of two, then you pick uh, whatever mom and dad are gonna speak to the child. And then you bring the third language as a time and place kind of language you know, to practice the language at home. Um, And the other most important thing right after that family language plan and right after the method is making sure that everyone in the child's circle in that, in his and her or her life is in supporting your efforts. So mom and dad, the neighbors, the relatives, the teachers, once he starts going to school, everyone in his world, the friends, you know, then you come up and have play dates where they all speak Spanish and you and, and the adults are speaking Spanish if, or English, depending on what, you know, what the language or French, whatever it is. Um, so, but I think that's what it is. And I think we need to be flexible, consistent, that's important, but flexible. So you wake up one day and you speak to your child in the other language and don't stress over it. Just just know that you go back to and you stay with your plan and um, and you support each other. You know, the partners need to support each other uh, because it's it's difficult uh, to stay consistent, especially when you live in a neighborhood where it's English dominant and the child is going to a school that it's English dominant and the only Spanish he has or she has is at home. And then that means that, you know, we need to find lots of other opportunities to expose the child to the language. It's very important to find those opportunities. So it's, it's, it's work, it's work for the parents too. Sounds but like I think that once you make that commitment, you decide on the, on the, um, on the method to use everything all kind of should fall into place, but, but, but have lower expectations so you don't get frustrated. You know, children are very smart. They can tell when you're like, because I told, you know, my kids are 31 and 28 and pretty quickly, even though I spoke to them in Spanish and my husband would speak to them in English, pretty quickly they figure out that I spoke English too. So they wanted to speak English as a family. So it was hard. And those days, I didn't have a lot of resources. You know, I I developed a group of friends 
that it was international. So we were, you know, still to this day, they're my, my friends and we all supported each other, but we didn't live close to each other that we could see each other all the time. We would make a point of at least every other week, we would see each other when the kids were growing up together and they were from Argentina, Peru, Puerto Rico, Mexico, and uh, Mexican Americans. And we, you know, we would hang out with each other and try to support each other that way. But, but today, there are so many resources for parents out there that yeah. would make it a lot easier. Patience is, is the most important thing. You know, I think parents tend to get frustrated because they expect too much. And, you know, we, we all have to realize that our kids, especially they live in the United States, they're in an English dominant world. So we just, we need to be okay with that. And, and, and we just need to support that. And if we don't speak English and they do, maybe we try to learn a little bit of English. So they, they see our effort, they're gonna follow with the effort in Spanish as well. Cause you know, we're the best examples for our kids, the best role models. My work environments are all people, my colleagues always ask me, how is it that when you're speaking English to me, because I, because of my, how I look, you would not think that I'm actually Mexican, right? And then I start speaking in Spanish. Yes, como, what? What's happening? And you have no accent in either. I yeah. mean, it is beautiful. I am impressed. <laughs> Thank you. So yeah. impressed. I mean, there is no, I'm, when you started, you started by speaking in Spanish to me and I'm like, oh, I thought maybe you didn't speak English. And then your English flawless. I'm like, oh, wow, this is awesome. Yeah, Why yeah. speak Spanish with an English accent, let me tell you. I do think about this all the time. I, when I was dating an American, didn't speak any Spanish, one of my biggest worries was, when I started getting very serious, was if we have children, ¿Qué voy a hacer? Because my, my expectation is, quiero que hablen como yo. <laughs> Both languages. Um, but that's, and I remember having conversations with him and he'd be like, those are, that's impossible. Those are impossible expectations to have on your not even born yet kids. Like, <laughs> um, exactly. you're so cute. <laughs> are you what, 25, 28? I'm 27. Yeah, I was eight. So you're my daughter's age. <laughs> so, I was already worrying about these things because I was like, it's language is so important to me. It is part of who I am, a very huge part of who I am. I, I worried about that. And I remember him being like, it really starts at home. Like if, if you speak Spanish to them and I speak English to them, then and we work together. I can't promise you that they're going to speak both languages perfectly, but they're going to know both languages, right. you know, um, which goes to your, it's a teamwork and it's, you know, develop, like being friends with Hispanos and going to reuniones donde mis amigas también están ahí con sus hijos que hablan español, all of these things. Joint yeah, efforts. All that exposure and, but it can be done. And, you know, the most important thing is the support that you give each other. And if, if you're, partner supports you in your goal of raising these children to be completely bilingual, it will happen. 
and then you know you work towards that so then you pick the dual immersion school where they're going to have spanish um during the day uh, outside the house as 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 um as well as when they come home uh in the house so there are things nowadays that you can do the two ensure that that's going to happen and there's online bilingual communities and it's just there's a lot of support out there these days a lot of experts Absolutely. Uh, you know i belong to this group that um we just started in instagram and now we're in clubhouse too um it's called red de apoyo crianza bilingue because mm -hmm. there's a lot of of um a lot more information out there in english so we are trying to get more in Spanish. Like my podcast is in Spanish and you know, it's, it's for expats and immigrant parents that are raising kids with, you know, two or three languages and, and two or three cultures. And um, I try to, you know, my content to produce content in Spanish as, as well as English because of that. And I give, I am you know, lucky enough like you, you can go into a room and speak in English or in Spanish. So when I give my presentations, oftentimes they ask me, can you do it in both languages? Sure. And there's not very many people that can do that. Right. What is the difference between being, is there a difference between being bicultural? Can you be bicultural and not? Uh, not be bilingual? Yes. Of, of, of course. You're talking about language and culture. Mm -hmm. So you can be uh, Puerto Rican and Greek and not speak, you only speak English. Mm -hmm, you know what I'm mm -hmm. saying? You don't yeah. have to speak Spanish or Greek. So that's the difference. You're talking about language. So language is a way to promote culture, to preserve culture, to yeah. nurture culture. Does that make sense? Yes, yes. That's, that's what I wanted it like to get to because I have in the last uh, episode I did with Enrique Acevedo, um, we talk about this a lot because he's the first Latino correspondent for 60 minutes and he, which is a very big deal for this institution and like this American institution that is 60 minutes to have a heavy accent in English. He has a heavy Latino accent in English because he's is a Mexico. And so yeah. it represents so much to see that as a Hispanic. And the, the conversation we had was there's this like a, either taboo or like this debate that is always going on with are you actually latina if if you don't speak the language like or like all of these latino celebrities who don't ha know a lick of spanish or all of these things and and how there's always that debate of but they're still latinas also you can have the culture but not have the language right and and you know what there are several reasons for that um generations you know i think starting before my generation before that and before even that when parents would emigrate or when they would you know move to another country i mean it it happened in in all the um, cultures doesn't necessarily have to be the hispanic or the latino culture it happened in the italian culture in the irish culture everyone that has come this way even the greek culture my husband's uh a family that came from Greece, the same thing. Um, you know, a lot of those generations lost the language because once you come here, all the all those parents thought, oh, they have to adjust, they have to be like Americans. Mm -hmm. You know, we want them to speak English, and that was the concern. But 
it was also a lack of information and a lot of a lack of not knowing that it's okay to preserve your language they they are going to learn this language right away but keep your own language but you know what no judgment whatsoever i think parents do the best they can in whatever generation and um that was think what happened then was you know because i have friends my age i'm 64 years old and they wish they're latinos and they wish their parents had kept the spanish at home and they didn't and some of them have gone back to mexico or uh spain or somewhere to learn the language as adults which is a great i mean we can all learn a language at any age ideally it would be great if we start when they are babies the tequetan en tu pancita i mean that's how early you should start if that if that's your goal hablando al bebé en español todo el tiempo i mean they and then once they come out yeah, yeah obviously they don't talk yet but they, all the sounds and the rhythms of the words you know yeah. their vocabulary all that the reading i mean start reading early on i used to sit down on the floor with my kids and say where's six months old with picture books and you know este es la, el agua y la leche and, you know the, los animalitos y los números i mean so there's a lot that uh, we can do as their you know as when they're babies to start exposing them to the language but i think that's what happened uh with those generations uh, before us and and i think that today the younger generation, you're a great example, my children, um, they all, I mean, I see it all the time, all these parents and Latino parents in on Instagram that follow me, that one, they're like sponges, like their kids, and they want all this information. I'm mm -hmm. like, I am bound and determined that my kid is gonna be bilingual. So yeah. um, I love it. I love to see it. I, I love all the communities that have been, um, that have you know been developed um i love belonging to some of them you know with uh younger very expert moms that are you know speech pathologists and they're in linguistics and and they all have gone to school to be um experts in bilingualism and um and i i love being part of that tribe and that you know because it takes a village raising a bilingual child takes a village that's why at the beginning, I was telling you, once you make that choice, that decision, it, it involves everyone in the child's lives. It's so important. So a lot of what Maritere is saying falls into these tips. Clear understanding from parents and the effort to work at this together. Exposure and consistency. Going beyond the language, as it doesn't need to be just about speaking it, but also understanding the culture behind it. Apart from checking out Maritere's work on her website, which is maritererodriguezbellas.com, or her Instagram at Latina Boomer Mom, and her books, there are other resources out there. Books like Be Bilingual, Practical Ideas for Multilingual Families by Anika Bruñón, or apps like Duolingo or Buzu. It's also important to try making this fun for the whole family. Know that it's possible to have a bilingual child. It just will take work. I went through a 
when I started going to school in the United States, I, when I came back and I would refuse to speak Spanish for some reason. Um, and all my, all of like, most of my friends went through the same phase and my mom would be like, I don't speak English. O me hablas en español o no nos comunicamos y no sé cómo le vas a hacer. O mamá, me puedes traer no sé qué en inglés. I would say it in English and she'd be like, ¿qué? ¿De qué hablas? No, no, no entiendo. And that would force me and I'd be like super annoyed. But now I look back and I'm like, thank God, because it's a superpower. It really is a superpower to be able to communicate in more than one language. It's I a think. gift. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, one thing I also wanted to ask you that I was very curious about. I read that your book, I Have a Secret, Tengo un Secreto, was inspired by something you went through when you were younger. Can you talk to me a little bit more about that? Junito is my, was my brother and I lost my brother last year. Um, but I had already, um, the, the book about Junito started in my head, maybe about, you know, three or four years ago, right after, uh, my other parenting books came out, uh, because every time I would go talk to parents that, you know, the subject would come up. And so the original character was going to be a girl was going to be my sister. And my sister's name is Marisol. And she and I are super close and I wanted to have this character that was her. And, but there was another author out there that had already picked the Marisol name and she had a little character named Marisol. So I didn't want to compete with that. And I decided, okay, well then I'm going to uh, make the character be a boy and be my brother Junito. And he's, his real name uh, was Gilberto, but we call him Junito um, growing up. So um, I had already decided that I was going to have Junito's adventures and it's going to be like three or four books. And, you know, he's going to be my character. That it out. Well, um, I wrote the book and um, I, it was being published. And he knew that it was going to happen, but my brother had this illness and he, the last couple of years, he hasn't been feeling well. And so he died last, um, last May. And so uh, yeah. So anyway, you're the first one that asked me this question. I don't talk about it much because I don't want to take away from the great story and all that. But yeah, my brother was a super fun loving kid growing up and, he was kind of like mischievous, but fun and always with a good uh, intention. You know what I mean? So um, I, I, I do love that. I Maybe there was a reason why um, it didn't work out that the character was a girl and, and became a boy. And I get to honor my brother this way. So thanks for asking. I don't, it does not take away from the story at all. It adds a lot more to the story. You should talk about it more. I'm so, so sorry that Thank you lost you. your brother. Um, you. I cannot imagine. I'm an only child, but losing oh, any loved know. one is really uh, hard. Yeah. I think it adds a lot more power to your story that it was inspired by your brother. I love that the title, by the way, when I read about it was, is, is both in English and in Spanish. Immediatamente, I actually mentioned this to one of my colleagues that I was gonna interview you today. And she 
wrote down the title because she's also obsessed with the idea of I need my <laughs> kids to speak both languages. So she's like, however I can, you know, de donde pueda encontrar esta información, dámela. Um, and she was, she also told me like to ask you like, what would be the top three tips you would give to new parents to be able to integrate multiculturalism and bilingualism into their family? Well, the number one thing is make that decision with your, with your partner. You know, you both need to be in the same base, in the same base. Think about it as discipline. When you discipline your kids, you should both be in the same page all the time. I don't know how it was in your house, but in, when I was growing up was not that way. You know, my dad was a little bit more lenient. My mom was more the disciplinarian. And so my husband and I made the conscious decision that we would always be in the same page in front of the children, even if we didn't agree with each other. You know, it's like mm -hmm. trying not to give the kids mixed messages. So yeah. the language aspect of your family life should be the same. So the child should grow up understanding that mom and dad are on united front on this and that they support each other. So that's the number one, make the decision together, make a plan, you know, sit down and, and decide, okay, what method we're going to use. First of all, where do you live? Are you in the United States or are you in Mexico? And Mexico, maybe it is that they want English instead of Spanish. Mm -hmm. So it applies to wherever you are. It's just what is the majority language outside and what the minority language is going to be inside the house and with the target language. And then go from there and you know add on. And there's a lot of support. There's a lot of families, uh, um, communities, bilingual communities out there. And, and the third thing is exposure. Make sure that you expose the kids. Start reading early on in the target language. If, if you end up with um, uh, uh, a man that speaks English, he reads the English and you read the Spanish. Alternate every night. There's, no, there's nothing wrong with that, but try to keep the language that you were communicating with all the time. And if it happens to be that he speaks English and you speak Spanish, then you guys figure out what, you know, you always talk to the kids in the different language and then the two of you speak English and the kids are gonna see you and that's okay. You, you know, you continue with, this is what the plan is. And as the child grows up, you can have conversations very simple conversations about why mommy and daddy are in this path. Why it's so important for us that you are bilingual. You are a perfect example of, you know, how passionate about it you are. That you, you transmit that to your kids. You know, they, they take that energy from you. Stay positive, have lower expectations, and then you'll be surprised with, you know, use, and then bring the culture in. You know, the uh, conversations with abuelita are super important and the, the food, the music, um, the art, the festivals, anything that you can think of that is going to bring that culture inside your house and, and, and give it both equal importance. You know, you, you have to remember your kid is growing up in the United States. 
he needs to make sure he needs to see that mommy and daddy value this culture too. This is where they live. This is what, but that doesn't mean you can also promote and cultivate the culture where you came from and that you want them to take them. I mean, my kids would spend every summer in Puerto Rico. I realized that not very many parents can do that. And they were very blessed and, and we were very lucky to be able to do that. But as much as you can, uh, take them to the, the, you know, your country of origin, leave them with grandma and grandpa for a few weeks. And so they can soak in the culture and the language, you know, it's, it's incredibly just, important. Yeah. For my friends who are bicultural, but don't really speak the language, there is just a different type of like understanding and empathy that arises from maybe they don't speak the, the, the language perfectly. They understand the language, but because of all those summer trips to wherever their, their country is, they see the world differently. It's you're just educating them a través de otros ojos because there's a deeper connection than just, oh, we're visiting London for the summer. No, there's a deeper connection to yeah. soy de Mexico, soy de este, no sé, Guatemala, soy de Honduras, you know? Yeah. Yes. And you know, honestly, I, I tell this all the time. You know, my, like I told you, my son is 31 and my daughter's 28. I am convinced that they are the people they are today because of their upbringing, because they were multicultural, they were exposed. They don't see culture, they don't see gender, they don't see, uh, they, they respect the similarities and the differences of everyone. I mean, they just are comfortable with anyone. And, and I love that. I think they're, they're, they're more empathetic, they're compassionate, they're kind, they're respectful. And I think all that comes from having exposed them to all these different, you know, cultures that they were things that were different. You know, he, my husband and I grew up very differently. And I think that the one thing that was the same was the family bonding. I mean, there, his family was very strong and also the religion, the religious part. That's very close to where I came from. But, um, but there were things that were different and it was great for my kids to learn that. So I, I think that today I am convinced that wherever we are, we are raising multicultural kids, wherever we are. So let's take advantage of that. Let's continue to expose the kids to that and, um, and you know, help them be proud of, of all those cultures that they have in their blood. Hey guys, thanks for listening to this episode with Maritere. You can follow Maritere at Latina Boomer Mom on Instagram or check out her website at maritererodriguezbellas.com. You can find all of this information in the description of this episode. Remember to support us by rating this podcast on Apple, because as you know, this will help us continue to work on the show and bring on guests who inspire and motivate you. This is Lan Nikis. I'm your host, Andrea Marquez. Thanks for listening. <laughs>